Hello and welcome back to Out of the Ordinary Podcast with me, your host, Jack. I am back stateside for episode five again. Well, I'm not actually stateside, although I could pretend that I am because you'd never know if I was lying or not. But no, I'm not. I am in England. Uh, But my guest for this week is another stateside individual. I'm very pleased this week to introduce my guest, Zach, to you. Zach, can you hear me all the way over in America? I can. I get uh, great projection. <laughs> we're, we're all about great projection. Thank you so much for being here, Zach. I really appreciate your company for this episode. I hope everything is well over. Yeah. You're in Washington, is that right? You told me. Uh, yeah, Alexandria, uh, just like 20 minutes south of Washington. I said to you before we started recording, like I, I feel like, and I count you as an individual involved in this. I'm, I'm learning so much about America as a country in terms of geography and where everything mm-hmm. is, how far away things are from each other. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's the lesson I didn't know I needed. <laughs> but sure, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it's great. How are things with you, Zach? Are you feeling okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good. I, uh, you know, it's one, one of those people who always uh, is in a little better mood when we start to feel the fall weather. And, you know, unfortunately we're having a, last uh, gasp of the summer heat instead but you know the, the 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 calendar is telling me that we're on our way either way i am i'm aware from my guest last week lovely lovely brandon who was here last week uh, that he uh, did mention something about a hurricane warning oh, yeah. i don't know if that affected you at all but obviously i would like just to check in that you're okay well, i'm okay it didn't affect me uh geographically but i I'm an environmental reporter, so that's been that that's been on my plate either way. And that's a really good point. Uh, a good point that I will pick up on. A big reason of why I was so keen to get you on the podcast this week was because Zach, not only are you uh, an autistic adult, an autistic individual, you're also a journalist. That's right. Um, so your is your area environmental journalism? Did I did I pick that up correctly? Yeah, environment and the intersection of uh the environment and politics because the the publication i write for the hill is a newspaper that primarily covers uh congressional and dc politics but it has a broader uh focus just because all these things have such national and international implications so Mm -hmm. a a lot of my mandate is specifically uh the environment in the context of uh lawmaking and policymaking Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's certainly one hell of a job, I can imagine. Um, sure. Something that, that we'll definitely talk about in in more detail. I guess, really, something I like to do before we go anywhere near kind of the main questions of of the week. I wonder if you'd mind just kind of filling in a bit of background about about you, Zach, about your journey with autism up till this point. You know, where you are today in twenty twenty three. What what's kind of Obviously, it's a huge question to kind of answer all in one go. But what's kind of your story been like with autism um, as an individual to where you are now? Sure. So I was uh, formally diagnosed uh, my uh, freshman year of high school when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I think probably I'm 34 years old. Like, I think a lot of uh, people of my age cohort, there was sort of uh that there was sort of a no man's land before that where there were sort of vaguely inexplicable uh, behavioral problems and uh, motor skills issues that were briefly uh, 
misdiagnosed as ADHD. And mm-hmm. I don't think that upon the initial diagnosis, I really meant much to me because this was this was a period uh, where our understanding of uh, autism and neurodiversity was uh, far more limited uh, than it is mm-hmm. today. And it was, uh, I, I think probably back when Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man was probably still the dominant like uh, cultural uh, image of autism. And I've said that, you know, I, I, I'm, I was uh, fairly lucky uh, being uh, s- sort of uh the stereotypical image of an autistic person at that time to some extent so mm. sorry no i was just gonna say it's funny you mentioned rain man because they uh rain man has come up on this podcast several of course times of course um and uh it's it's one of those things because you you mentioned you were 34 i'm mm-hmm. i'm 32 only just mm-hmm. um so we're very similar age so that must make you very late 80s and then me very 89, early 90s. It's 89 yeah yeah, so you're 18 and I'm 91. So yeah, definitely around the same the same period as each other. Obviously, with different geography between us, but you know the, mm-hmm. the, the experiences. I'm sure we'll learn are very tied similarly. I mean, Rain Man. Yeah, it is. It's very much still the ever present example in a lot of society's minds of, you know, uh, if someone discovers that you're autistic as an adult, they. Uh, I think that misconception that goes through people's heads is they go back to look at your childhood and your past and think, oh, this kid must have been, you know, it must have been like Rain Man or, you know, growing older, mm-hmm. it must have, been, must have been kind of, that's the template almost, as you said, that mm-hmm. exists. And I think, you know, it, it, it's so interesting hearing you make reference to that film uh, because I've made reference to it several times. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things that it seems like everyone who is autistic knows about that film in some capacity knows about that example and and uh, often in a negative context we're all sort of a bit we're all sort of a bit like oh god here we go again you know Mm -hmm. there's there's the rain man comparison but um yeah i just thought i'd mention that because i just thought wow he's someone else has mentioned it but do carry on what you were saying i'm I'm sorry for interrupting you no 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 it's fine i uh you know i i get that was uh i finished out uh high school four years in America and I without uh I didn't really think about it uh too much in the context of uh making me who I was just because I feel like high school is too confusing uh mm. emotion emotionally uh for most people uh for you to really take the time to think uh oh I must be having a I, I must be having a hard time with this because I'm autistic yeah so uh yeah. I don't think it was really until uh, until college when I met my partner, who is uh, now my who I'm now married to, that and uh, you know started working full time. That you know I sort of got a clearer picture of the specific uh, things about uh, functioning as an adult that I might have not even difficulties necessarily with, but a different perspective on, and that sort of. Uh, introduced me to the idea of advocating for myself as an autistic adult within the context of those. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that when you were talking about it, I really um, kind of resonation with is that that thing about when you're in high school, because high school, uh, well, I think it's changed actually since I was at high school here in the UK. I think it's now five years in typical 
uh, high school setting rather than four. It used to be four when I was there, though. And and I have to agree with you. You know, even with both completely different nationalities, you know, we've 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 got completely different experiences of the world. But I never, for one second, during my high school years, considered I might be struggling or I might be finding things difficult, having the the challenges in front of me. Uh, it, autism was never a word that was ever mentioned by anyone else. It was never something that was in my head. It never existed in any context that might have been helpful at any junction. Like you said, there was just, I don't even think there was enough time to even think about it because it was just such a, a kind of pressure cooker environment, sure. high school for anyone, but especially if you're different, especially if you've, you've got things that you, you know, find more difficult than other than others you know it, it, it's it really is kind of a that, that kind of pressure cooker environment so you're you're definitely not alone there high school in america for an autistic teenager whether you're aware of it or not briefly i suppose I, I have to ask briefly how did you find that i guess the big thing that i think of is really an oil and water thing mm-hmm. because so much of autism is having your schedule that uh and, and yeah. your routine and your rituals that work exactly uh, for you. Whereas so much of American public high school is the rituals and uh, routines and schedules that somebody else has already set in place that yeah. uh, sort of uh, everybody else is going to have to get used to. And, you know, it's, again, I think uh, the the early to mid uh, 2000s when I was doing it, that was still a period uh, where the, we had a much narrower idea of autism and uh, sure, kids yeah. at that kids at that age are so self-conscious that there's, I think, sometimes a reluctance to ask for help because it feels like you're disclosing something embarrassing about yourself, which is, you know, I, I think I hear it described as the mortifying ideal of the uh, uh, mortifying ex- ordeal of being seen, which is like mm, horrif- a yeah. uh, horrifying idea for most kids of that age. Absolutely, and you know, it's not. I'm. I'm. I hope it reassures you because it reassures me hearing it from you. But I hope it, it reassures you that it's definitely not a, a United States uh, exclusive thing. Because I mean, here in the UK, in in kind of those formative years when you're spending most of your time in education settings, I mean. The one thing, especially when you're dealing with teenagers, because as I think we coin a phrase in, in the UK that, which I'm sure is applicable everywhere else, of course, <laughs> but we, we, we coin a phrase here about kids can be the cruelest. Yeah. yeah. You know, they can really be the cruelest people out there. And when those kids turn into teenagers and they start to think for themselves a bit more, they start to realise that they can act out on their thoughts a bit more and that kind of thing. The one thing you I can say for myself, I'm I'm sure it applies differently for each individual, but the one thing I never wanted to be uh, at high school was different because different meant I was in trouble and different meant I was a a ripe target for for bullying, for, you know, being picked on, for being intimidated, for being kind of uh, segregated out from my peers, my classmates. So what you were saying about not wanting to step forward and say do you know what I'm finding things I'm finding my experience different to my peers I'm finding things different I'm finding challenges that others aren't experiencing I'm finding things that are making me worry or anxious that other people aren't experiencing you never want to do that consciously because like you said I suppose there is there's a when we went to when we went to school obviously being of a similar age I think there was a, a huge concept of just keep your head down until the end 
sure um, and, and get out there and then then hopefully you'll have more time and space to forge your own path but it, it wasn't easy and I, i've talked about yeah, it a lot on this podcast before but i'm sure you can relate to that Absolutely. And I think that uh, not even necessarily uh, external bullying in my case, but I think that there's a lot of, I think that especially at that age, uh, we tend to be our own worst critics and just mm. uh, thinking uh, we're uh, far more uh, conscious of how we're perceived necessarily than a lot of, uh, a lot of other people are even thinking about this at all. And it, uh, at least in my case, uh, led me to uh, internalize a lot rather than uh, take that risk. And internalize is a really strong, powerful word as well, because I, I think especially, well, I think especially across the board when people are experiencing things like bullying, etc. cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if something doesn't come along to remedy that or there's not a re- an effective resolution to remedy that, it does become a more internalized experience uh, i can say that as somebody who was who was very badly bullied in in education you do start to internalize that more because you're either not getting the understanding you need you're not getting kind of the attention needed for the issue or the problem and it, it becomes something where you think i will just carry this on my own and so be it so be it whatever the consequences are but i don't see another option i just want to get through this I, you know i ideally this is not the path that i would choose to be on but you know here, here's where i'm told to be kind of thing so i i very much get you there and it's it's very very difficult and i'm and, I, and again something i hope people who listen to a podcast like this might reflect on their own experiences with something like their education uh kind of formative years and think wow i mean yeah, I, I didn't particularly like school or I did like school or I had this to do or I had these many friends or, that, or whatever, but they may not consider just how much of those who are different, those who, who, who don't necessarily gel into natural spaces or natural crowds. Uh, I wonder if they underappreciate just how much those individuals have to carry, how much those individuals internalise and weigh down their own shoulders with very heavily and I, I think it's important to raise that and I, I'm mm-hmm. glad that I'm glad that you have because again you know you and I have never met each other you know we don't we don't really know each other very well and there you go already in nearly under 20 minutes something something very similarly kind of experienced sure, um, sure. And it, it's it's a story it's a story that needs to be reflected on. I think, I think it's an experience that a lot of people won't realize and, and will have gone, you know, there's a lot of people listening who, who won't have been autistic or aren't autistic now. And they'll have gone to school with people that they'll, they, they'd never realized were autistic or they, you know, would never realized were different. And they just kind of thought, you know, what's wrong with them? Why can't they fit in? What? And I hope that kind of makes it a bit more kind of, it makes it a kind of a bit more sense in their heads. Maybe if they listen to something like this and think, wow, you know, who knew someone could hold all of that on their own for, for four years? That's a long time, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And of course, it has, its, it has its effects. It has its consequences on an individual carrying yeah. all that. So, yeah, powerful stuff. Obviously, here you are today. You got through the high school years. Mm-hmm. How, did you, how did you find kind of the, the, uh, the transition into adulthood? How did, how, did, how did that go for you? Sure. Well, it's, you know, and I hear this uh, from... Uh, my my family uh, was fairly uh, concerned about how successfully I would make that transition. So I actually, I, I went to college uh, in, uh, 
at uh, VCU, which is one of the schools in uh, my hometown, Richmond, Virginia. And mm -hmm. uh, my, uh, my my first semester, I just uh, or yeah. took the bus in from my parents. And I think that that uh, helped me uh, sort of adjust to the campus experience a little bit. Definitely. Until I, until I moved out. After that point, I, uh, I moved in uh, with my partner after mm -hmm. our freshman year. And I think that having them really uh, helped me transition as well, Definitely. just in terms of, uh, you know, it's not necessarily, and I I lucked out to be clear, because not everyone <laughs> has. Uh, That's so nice. Well, I lucked out in terms of the kind of person they are, but also in terms of having a person like that to move in with in the first place, as opposed to, you know, like a randomly assigned roommate yeah 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 no i mean uh, absolutely zach and i and I'd, I'd never um I, I don't for a minute uh underestimate how incredibly important that must have been for you because i yeah. mean I, I mean we talk about well i try and talk about the the life transitions on this podcast as much as possible you know when when the when the subject suits and then um, i'd love to do more about it kind of in, in kind of a bigger focus but the transitions from um, kind of your primary kind of secondary education environments through to your your adult life. I mean, that's one area I think we can agree on worldwide has particularly the least support available for those who need it or require it. It's it's yeah. very much you used the word earlier. Uh, I don't know if it was wilderness or something like that, but you used that term or something along those lines. And it, yeah. it very, very much is the first example, I think where someone stops essentially looking out for you uh, you know kind of in an academic or a professional capacity holding and, your hands yeah holding your hands yeah pretty much yeah and it's the first time that that happens and and it's it's sort of that you get a gentle nudge off into adulthood and a kind of mm -hmm. a good luck and for a lot of and for a lot of people but particularly because of course we're focusing on autism for a lot of autistic people that transition is is too loose it, it's it's too kind of it's not it's not backed up enough it's not supported enough it's not kind of considered or thought through enough it's yeah. not kind of it's not given the foundations I think is what I'm trying to get to is that, that it needs to make yeah. it successful to make it comfortable to make it safe and from yeah. what you're describing I mean my experience with trying to move into further education with college or we call it university in the uk you know that failed for me because my my for, for very similar reasons to you but but because um i didn't have i guess the necessary tools or certainly wasn't given the supportive networks to make that happen and that's something when i hear i actually spoke to somebody a couple of weeks ago uh on this podcast this season who was saying that they uh, the only way that they could make university college work for them was to still live at home but but live close to their campus live close to their university close enough to have their safe space their safe network back at home and just as one example of something that a lot of people don't really think of they think oh if you're going to go off to college if you're going to go into that environment you want to you want to spread your wings you want to you know you want to dash off into the world without a care in a care in your mind but obviously for autistic people it works differently and i think what you've described is very very relatable and, very, and actually probably perhaps more common than people realize yeah. Um, but obviously lucking out completely, you know, finding somebody that you had there who could almost act as a new kind of uh, example of a support network as well. I'm sure that was very much the case. 
and you know, I think that it's, I, I think that it has been great for our marriage as well, too, just because uh, living with someone uh, at that time in your life, you're gonna learn everything that that annoys you about the other person. So if there's a deal, <laughs> if there's a deal breaker, you're going to learn about it long yeah. before you're talking about uh, marriage or a long term relationship. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess early on in your adult pathway, mm-hmm. and like like you said, finding out those kind of things that you like about each other, but also finding out the challenges or the things that you have to kind of accommodate, get to grips with that kind of thing. That's it's a you know it's a it's a great early example of making a really important transition, but also on the flip side, making I'm sure a transition that came with plenty of plenty of problems plenty of struggles plenty of challenges plenty of things you had to get your head around and work through and take your time with but here you are today married and that's that's a great testament that's that's fantastic and I mean I'm sure it's completely overdue but congratulations to both of you because thank you so much this is I mean I love a success story (laughs) yeah yeah no I I'm I I like it too to say the least I hope you do (laughs) it sounds like you do so that's that's good news. I mean, what well, you know, so where you are sort of now, I, I guess I'm guessing you've kind of settled into your kind of routine with each other. You know each other well enough, kind of well, clearly you got married, so you must have do. But uh, yeah. what's that like now? Is it is it? It's uh, you know, honestly the, the biggest uh, curveball uh, fairly recently uh, was that uh, we're both still mostly working from home. And yeah. uh, we had uh, almost sort of a readjustment to uh respecting each other's uh sort of it's the the idea that there was a space in the what within where we live where we couldn't necessarily be as like completely at ease as we normally were just to respect the workspace was yeah i would not say it like uh or at least no more than it was for everybody else who uh, all of a sudden found themselves working from home a few years ago but it's yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah absolutely like sort of un- completely unexpectedly thrust into a new yeah. way of existence and I think when we're talking about autistic people especially that's not generally a great mix to be almost immediately and in un- 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 kind of unprepared thrust into a new way of living sure, so absolutely. of course that's going to cause that's going to cause um, issues struggles worries anxieties etc so that that doesn't surprise me to hear but of course, like, as you said, like a lot of people, I guess you just over time and with ups and downs, uh, wins and not so many wins, you kind of you kind of learn to navigate your way to make it work, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I it's I don't think it was uh, anywhere near as much of a culture shock, so to speak, as the adjustment that you make when you first uh, go from uh, so when you go from dating someone to living with them. Yeah, it's huge, huge. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, there's just so much to talk about, and I, I just—it's almost like you know, I need like a multi-part <laughs> almost to cover it all. But what I would, what I do want to talk about um, as well while you're here, because one of the biggest reasons that I was very keen to talk to you is, of course, about your role, kind of professionally. Sure. As I said at the beginning, you are in the journalism field. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one of my biggest questions, I suppose, really what I want to ask as a journalist, how do you find navigating that kind of world, that career path 
in general day to day and I suppose initially what made you fall into that path what made you follow that kind of that route in your life honestly a lot of it is that uh, is that I have a family history of it my uh my mother was the archivist at my uh hometown paper and my wow. her uh, both her parents were in journalism beforehand and that's it just always sort of appealed so there's a there's a family there's a family path there yeah. you know into that field which makes a lot of sense i'm sure a lot of people can relate to finding the the way into careers or to kind of areas of professional environments that that have kind of been already established through family members etc was it something that you were always interested in through the family or was it something that you followed a little bit more on your own and thought actually i wonder if i can make this something uniquely kind of through my own vision or was it just something you thought yeah i'll sign up yeah go for it i think it's a little bit of both honestly i uh when i was around uh 10 years old uh my hometown paper that my 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 mom no longer worked there at the time so i didn't get a foot in the door or anything but uh mm-hmm. they they started doing this feature where they had uh kids review uh kids movies and i was one of the people selected for that and I don't yeah. know if I necessarily knew that that was what I wanted to do with my life at the time, but yeah, as yeah. I was getting as I was getting older and actually thinking about uh, careers, I sort of found myself like you know, maybe this is how I beat the catch twenty two of needing experience to get experience. Like I have, yeah, yeah I have yeah. clips from when I was ten, so I might as well uh, keep uh, see if I can keep going with this. And so I I ended up. Uh, you know, doing the the high school paper thing, and that ended up uh, majoring it in it in college. And you know, by then, I was genuinely into it enough that it's it was where I where I found myself wanting to go. And you know, I I think listening to that um, it actually makes a lot of sense in terms of autism because again, something that we cover on this podcast. Uh, extensively is the issue with the kind of the crisis in unemployment with autistic people which is I think well documented in every country you can probably think of around the world Mm. Um, and the reasons for that of course you know are are separate discussion but I think one of the biggest things that I picked up from what you just said about how you kind of fell into that that area was it's something that you already had knowledge of something you were already familiar with in a certain respect through your family yeah. um something you had kind of as you said prior interest going on to major in that clearly means you have the interest and the passion for it and I think I don't know if it well it might do obviously I, I've never put words in your mouth I wonder if it became almost like a, a, a certain form of maybe like a professional special interest for you I- no, I, I I think that you're uh, that you're definitely onto something there, and I think that it's I think I, I do think that there is a certain uh, appeal uh, for for an autistic mm. person. Uh, there's uh... sorry, I was just going to say the only reason I mentioned it because um, I know when people are talking about, uh, especially when we're talking about autistic people trying to get into the in the world of employment or to to try and find a, a way through that or a path through to that. You know, having um, a kind of already pre-existing special interest in an, in an area of focus or a topic or a, a kind of um, a passion sort of helps some people, not all, of course. And I, I never kind of uh, make that kind of sweeping generalisation about lots of autistic people. But but 
can help a lot of people find the way into something that makes that process less kind of overwhelming less intimidating or less kind of overstimulating to the point where it becomes kind of a non-starter but um i just wondered i i just wondered with your example having already existed as you were growing up through through people that you were close to through people that you loved and something that you were kind of in a way always around i suppose in in one way or another whether that helped you to almost adjust to that role by slow stealth if you like because while you were while you were growing as a person that was kind of that was kind of around you sort of thing yeah I think does that make some, sense yeah no it definitely makes sense i think there's something to that i think uh, you know i think that that's sort of i wonder if if someone had said to you you know when you were i don't know like 18 19 i wonder if someone said to you go and find a job how about journalism go and do it right now i wonder if if that would have come out the blue whether that would have been much much harder for you to actually achieve yeah, no, I, 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 I think for sure. I think that, you know, I don't think that that's, it's not like necessarily one of those things like firemen or a marine biologist that you necessarily yeah. uh, think of kids uh, like having it as their fantasy job uh, when they grow up. The kind of journalist you see in a movie or something who's like breaking mm-hmm. open the big story or something. But uh, but those, uh, obviously that's, not necessarily the accessible uh, kind of uh, journalism career to have, but no, I think that having that uh, in my in my family background and yeah, it I was almost it, yeah, it was almost being familiar already, which I think I, I think for a lot of individuals who who really want to, to really want to find a path for themselves, uh, kind of either academically or professionally or kind of with their their hobbies or their passions really want to gravitate towards something that I think especially with autistic people you find much much more is gravitate towards something that actually means something to them absolutely um, rather than something and I think why not because I was questioning your ability at all because I can tell oh, you no, very, no, no, you're, you're very very capable and very intelligent but um thanks but more, but more of the more of the thing of it's much rarer for autistic people to just say I'll oh, go and pick a job, any job, and I'll somehow I'll just squeeze myself into it and it'll be fine. Because it very rarely works out that way, in my experience. Sure. And I'm incredibly lucky, uh, both within the pool of autistic people and with the pool of anybody in general, to like, be able to mm. do, do something that I care about for a living. I think that uh, a lot of people kind of have to resign themselves to the idea that what they do for a living may not necessarily be something that they're passionate about. And I mm-hmm. think that that's a, a really hard thing to, to have to accept uh, as you enter adulthood. So I think that I've been Absolutely. very lucky that that's worked out the way it has. Well, I mean, I could play devil's advocate and say it's partly down to luck, but also I think when you're clearly having been in that in that field in that role as much as long as you have been i'd say half of it well not even half actually i'd say a fraction of it could be luck but clearly in the right circumstance and in the right environment and with the right support around you i think it's your ability your talent and your natural kind of skill and determination that is is has got you where you are and i i'd like to think that yeah it wasn't I don't know. I mean, it, uh, there's always there's always an element of things that comes down to luck, and especially a lot of the time with autism, you find that you, you, it's, it helps to be in the right place at the right time or with the right person at the right time. And but actually, 
as as the misconception goes, we go back to examples like Rain Man. People would have mm-hmm. watched something like Rain Man and thought, well, he'll never he'll never get a job. He'll never have a career. You know, he'll never be able to achieve. And here you are as one individual who's who's in the journalism journalism field, and that's I think it's a testament to you that maybe I don't know. It's it's always difficult to give ourselves compliments, and I, I would never expect anyone to make themselves kind of force themselves to do. But from the outside, I think it's a testament to your character that. Thank you're, you. doing what, you're doing what you're doing and achieving what you're achieving and you know it's it I suppose, which I suppose really really leads me on to the kind of my next question is I suppose fairly typically known as quite a high pressured environment journalism as a whole obviously it depends what you're a bit like you're saying earlier what your what your focus is or what your area of, of speciality is but I guess my biggest question for you is well, the one thing I was most interested in is what are some of the biggest challenges about being in that kind of journalistic environment alongside being autistic? Because that there's got to be so, I'm sure. Sure. Well, I think that probably one of the biggest things is you have to sort of uh, push through uh, any tendency towards uh, shyness. Like a lot of the time, uh, not not every day, but a lot of the time, my job is to just like uh, go go down to the the Capitol and try to bother a U.S. senator. You really can't get like a uh, hung up on things like uh, does this uh, if this person uh, brushes me off or is short with me, do they hate me? Like that that mm-hmm. they're 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 a senator. They're not thinking about you at all. You're a uh, your job is to is to take the risk that uh, this doesn't go perfectly, and I think that, yeah, I think a big part of that is just how little uh, the nature of the news is going to necessarily adjust to your to your schedule or your pace. And yeah. I think that some days that's harder to deal with than others, but I the only way out is through. I like that. I like that. Um, it's a good way to look at it. I suppose you've already kind of alluded to that. I, I, the one thing about the the news, the media, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the about journalism is day to day professionally. Mm-hmm. It, obviously, well known for being a world where things change quite rapidly, or things ha- things happen you weren't expecting, or yeah. things come out of out of the blue that no one was prepared for or has to kind of run with really really quickly and and for me um for me as an autistic adult those are usually the examples of the things that I can't bear um and for me I I freely admit you know it it, it would probably not be a great mix for me but I'm I'm absolutely fascinated to kind of speak to you as an individual who is in that area and and just kind of to to learn from i guess your wisdom really oh, of, yes, of, thank of, you. Of, of how you navigate that because clearly you do and clearly you you do it to the best of your ability but it's i mean yeah i mean thrusting yourself into the middle of i don't know washington or whatever and talking to senators and covering things that have just stories that have just broken or things that have just changed or information's just landed in your lap i mean i can i can really imagine the uh <clears throat> kind of the anxiety i would get from sort of being kind of jerked out of that sense of routine or stability but actually of course that is the the nature of the beast almost and it sounds like you've just had to kind of learn to ride the wave as it comes along would that be fair i think so yeah i think that the first uh the first few times i did it you know i started to realize that like uh 
that no one is going to there's no security that's going to grab you and be like, hey, you're faking it. Like, no, I'm I'm a real adult doing this real job. Like, I mm. I am able to. I'm I'm not faking it. A lot a lot of people would would say to you as an autistic person in that field that field of of you know that field of of of, of work. A lot of people will say to you, well, as an autistic person, you're used to masking. So do you mask when you're at work? You know, do you mask your way through your your working day? But it sounds like you don't. It sounds like you are very much authentically you. I mean, I do mask to some extent, but I guess I I guess I mask uh, to the extent that anyone uh, masks uh, between home and work period. An instinct that I think I've... Uh, built up uh just having a full-time job period and it's just not particularly challenging for me to translate that to mm. a job as as uh potentially chaotically paced as this one yeah i was gonna say i suppose that <clears throat> the word <laughs> the word chaotic does spring mm. to mind when i think of that area of life um and i think that was that uh, you know as somebody who doesn't necessarily well, no, I'm not even going to play it down. I don't really thrive on chaos at the best of times. But um, yeah, it's one of those things where I think, yeah, that would rule me out, I think. Um, just just kind of the unpredictability or the the kind of last minute expectation to react kind of kind of situation. But I don't know. It's 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 really it's 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 really positive because from from what kind of you're explaining it, it, it's something that you've just really become accustomed to and found your own way in. I mean, how how do you find kind of working with other people, or you know, in, you know, if you're interviewing people, do you, do you find that that's something that you really become stronger with, or is it still something that gives you anxiety? Or I mean, it tends to give me some initial anxiety, but I guess the most valuable thing I've learned, uh, particularly interviewing people, is that if you if you ask the right question, you can just sort of let them talk. And uh, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. That that's where that's where, where you'll get your best information, and it's not necessarily far less heavy lift for you in terms of having to uh, necessarily perfectly articulate everything or perfectly word everything. It's funny you should mention that, and I probably well, I mean, some would say don't make that admission live on air, but I'm I have to say uh, as a an individual who lives alongside autism who's just who's got into podcasting this year mm-hmm. um i'm certainly finding now as a podcaster who has guests every episode mm-hmm. that i i kind of agree with you it very much does depend on the the style of questioning you you have or or the questions that you do ask and that sure. actually i've kind of learned in my own experience that asking the the kind of the I guess the best kind of curated or the style of questions really does matter on, like you said, being able to just let the other person not take over because I would never, I'd never want to put that expectation on someone else entirely, but kind of gives them the the platform. Maybe they didn't realize they were allowed to have, or, you know, you've kind of given them a, an equal playing field almost. Yeah. Um, I, I always think that's, I often think that's quite, in, in any kind of situation whether you're interviewing somebody or you're having a, a two-way conversation with somebody I always think that's the better way to do it anyway is neither takes kind of a superiority over a conversation but you just kind of share it with each other in a really amicable and open kind of way sure 
yeah absolutely i think that's a really that's certainly some, something i hope that i've learned is especially in in doing podcasting is really really effective and it sounds like with you you know that sounds to be sort of a similar kind of style for you which i'm glad that it hopefully works most of the time yeah um, and i mean uh, particularly uh when it comes to covering like environmental issues, the people I tend to be talking to are experts in their field. So yeah, that, I think that guides questioning. Obviously, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to kind of dwell on it too much. But have you had any kind of really negative or bad experiences that have kind of led you towards kind of meltdowns or, you know, burnouts or thing like things like that that you can kind of recall? Or has it generally been sort of quite steady? <sighs> this is I can laugh about it now, but. This one time I was uh, trying to ask a, uh, a senator a question after he got done talking to somebody else. And I did not realize that I was standing uh, in front of another one. And I will obviously, for professional reasons, I won't name either of them. But the senator I was standing <laughs> in, in front of goes, can you move, please? Jesus Christ. And I was like mortified the entire rest of that week. But, uh, okay. you know, at the same time, I, I, I sort of, again, I had to, uh, had to put it in perspective. Like there is, there is no way that that person remembers that ever happened. They don't, they did not, uh, don't remember my face. Uh, this is, yeah. you know, they, they were, that, that, that was pretty rude of them, but it was obviously nothing personal. I don't have to be a doormat or anything, but I also no, can't, no, no. like get a, I, I also can't uh, like let the fear of something like that happening uh, completely uh, constrain me for but so long. You're a very reflective person. I can very I can very much tell oh, from the, the way you. you the way you talk about things or the way you kind of analyze situations or scenarios or interactions with other people you're very reflective in terms of how you, you. Look, how, how you kind of look backwards at them um which yeah. is not a lot not everybody can do um, I, I do my best it, it feels like you ne- don't necessarily hang on to things that you don't really want to hang on to if that kind of makes sense yeah i mean i think that historically i've had a tendency to do that and i yeah absolutely I, mean, we, we, I, was, I think we're all guilty of that in some shape or form yeah I think that I, I recognize that tendency in myself and it makes me sort of uh, check myself. Yeah, which is which is great, you know, which is really, really, I was going to use the word impressive, but I don't know. Thank you. I mean, I think I think it's admirable. I think it's very admirable because, like I said, I think a lot of people even older than we are uh, would struggle to to kind of, uh, like you said, check themselves enough to be able to pull back and go is this personal you know do i need to hold on to this do i need to beat myself up with this in the future but it's again it could be argued quite a quite a good autistic quality that a lot of autistic people will have is their ability to kind of compartmentalize things into logical or illogical i have to ask you this question because i feel like although obviously you know i'm not expecting you to know everything about the world of the media and, and the world of the news broadcasting and all that kind of thing as as yourself as zach what what do you believe the media's current perception is of autism and how does working within that field make you feel about yourself long way to go i think that they've a broader understanding within the media over the past several years not just with autism but uh that you need to incorporate those people's voices uh rather than uh, just expert view from nowhere and i think that that uh 
Uh, I think that the somewhat slow uh, understanding of that uh, in the media has uh, enabled them to sort of, I think that they still have a long way to go on all of those, but I don't think that, I guess the best thing I can say is I don't think that necessarily the immediate, immediate popular association of an autistic person today would be right now compared to uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Do you think that there will be more of a voice or more of a presence for autistic people in areas such as the media or in journalism or in broadcasting, for example? Do you think that is something that will increase over the next decade or two? Or do you still think, like you said about there being a long way to go, do you still think we're, we're not even at the conversation stage of that happening? I mean, I think to some extent it will. I think that a, the generations that are uh, going to be aging into the workforce by that point are some of the first generations uh, that have come of age with our broader understanding of, of autism. The real uh, X factor there is there is unfortunately sort of uh, that there's that there's there's a lot of gatekeeping within the industry uh, currently. I think that as uh, more and more uh, independent outlets uh, shut down and it increasingly becomes harder to get living on journalism in the United States unless you live in close to a few particular places like New York or Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that I really hope, I guess, in other words, I, I really hope that we sort of uh, break down a lot of the barriers that uh, keep people from uh, getting into journalism in the first place, because I think that, yeah, there's there's absolutely uh, undiscovered autistic talent that can, uh, that can enter the field if they're given the proper tools. Absolutely. And I, I suppose that that's a bit of a kind of a sub question for you. If you can answer it, obviously, it's very difficult sometimes, although I did, although, as I've already just said, you are very re- kind of you, you strike me as a very reflective individual. What, what do you think are some of the strengths and kind of the, the biggest qualities from somebody who does exist alongside autism that could really translate really effectively into that field? For anyone that's kind of questioning whether that would be a good fit or not. Sure. Well, I think that uh, the desire to zoom in on one thing and know absolutely everything there is to know about yeah, it that is, was be abs- my is yeah. absolutely an asset. And I think that I think that a lot of us uh, sort of uh, chafe at having to mind our own business sometimes. And <laughs> I think that that yeah. is, that can be a huge asset in journalism. Yeah, I definitely. Th- mm. The idea that and this is something that has uh, come up a, a lot uh, when I have talked to other autistic people about not just journalism, but things like uh, just absolutely refusing to take because I said so for an answer. Yes. Uh, yes. Like there's not ne- never taken for granted that uh, things being a certain way mean that they have to be that certain way. Mm, that kind of dogged determination for... Yeah for no i won't just take the the mainline kind of mainstream response or i won't just take the yeah kind of you're not privy enough to this information you're not privy enough to this this story or this conversation almost it's kind of that dogged kind of no do you know what i'm just as i'm just as valid as as anyone else and you know it's it's kind of a 
it's I have the ability to investigate. I have the ability to talk. I have the ability to ask questions. I have the ability to think for myself as yeah. an individual. So I will use those as and when I need to or I want yeah. to even. And I think that's not only powerful, but incredibly important that that continues, you know, like you were saying about not wanting it to kind of become almost too kind of centralized on you know your your New Yorks or your Washingtons or your kind of your over here you know your kind of your London centric mm-hmm. London centric media that kind of thing you want to you want to connect as many people you want to connect I guess what others would just well, we would never use this term of course but what others would describe as the more little people or the little communities right. absolutely they're all just as valid so mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad. I'm glad that you've said that because that's very, very important. I think, yeah, those. It's kind of the main one, isn't it? There's, there's a great sense of kind of once, uh, like you said, in that field as well. I can imagine if someone gives you a task or you you have a kind of a role to play or a, an assignment to to kind of carry through. You know, very, very determined. A lot of autistic people, you'll find, very determined to 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 do what they want to do and to do it to the best of their ability and to get it done and you know keep to you know keep to kind of deadlines and stuff like that so i i, I can think of I, I can think of actually quite a lot of uh talents and attributes that a lot of autistic people would bring to that field um it's just it's again it's about kind of busting those misconceptions that people would have of you know oh gosh you can never see a, an autistic person be a journalist and, and actually yeah. one of the biggest reasons you're here today is to say actually no i can see a lot of reasons why they can be yeah. um, and clearly, we've got someone right here who's who's doing just that, and and by the sounds of it, doing a very very good job. So, oh, thank you. Know, you. you know, a testament to you as well that of course you're going to have bad days, and you will you I'm sure you will have bad days because that's just the that's just just that's just normal. That's, that's um, what people do. That's what people do. And if you're if you if you're people, you qualify for bad days yeah. and good days. So, I suppose the last question I would ask you around that kind of area is in the professional field that you're in, being autistic. Do you find that professional field is as understanding, accommodating and supportive for your needs or adjustments or accommodations as you'd like them to be? I think this one's a little hard to answer just because even though, uh, you know, there are there are broader symptoms, but no two people are the same. I will say that I feel like for me personally, uh, the field has always uh, been uh, fairly accommodating towards me. I don't... Uh, necessarily want to speak to someone or just to speak for anyone uh, that might necessarily have uh, mm, different yeah. ne- different needs than I do. I think that I will say that for the most part, uh, I've been very lucky to, to work with people who are happy to, uh, to meet me halfway when I have needs. And I think that that's no, that's, that's why it's yeah. that's why yeah. it's unfortunate uh, that sort of like the newsroom as a concept has uh, sort of uh, receded from the journalism industry because I think that being able to you know sort of develop almost chemistry with people in that environment can be really helpful in terms of establishing a routine where people are able to meet you at that level. Yeah, 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 definitely. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can imagine with, with yourself it would be better for you to have kind of that more face-to-face contact or that more kind of one-on-one sort of personable contact with with people sure. you're, you're working with or people you're interviewing or you're talking to or having having conversations with people you know for a lot of the time for people you don't really know that well obviously you want to be kind of 
sharing a, a kind of um, a level-headed space with people, I, I, I would imagine, is probably the best yeah. way. Yeah, and that might uh, in my particular position, uh, we have two different people on the environmental desk. So I have uh, I have a partner on the bead that I am able to uh, bounce ideas off of and uh, let them know I'll be doing this at that time. I'll be talking to this person, and that's that. That's been really helpful in terms of sort of uh, getting into the groove of the work. Yeah, almost sounds a bit like a buddy. A bit like yeah, kind of a, yeah. a buddy system, which is good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, extre- it's extremely helpful. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. That sounds that sounds very good. I mean, Zach, I could talk you talk to you about lots of different other areas of autism, but of course, we wouldn't get it all into one episode. But um, <laughs> it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today, and I really oh, it's do. Been, it's been great to talk. It's been yeah, I'm I'm really grateful that for your time and and you know I'm sure well what is it I, I, I kind of I, time difference is something that I'm really having to get my head around uh, as well sure. as, about being a podcaster when you're talking to people outside of your own country but I think I'm getting better at it but um, I know it's later in the day for me than it is for you but uh, sure. you know I I really appreciate you giving up an hour of your time to to come and talk and of course thank you for having me. It's been really interesting and I, I thank you for the insight that you've given me but also the people that are listening you know for anyone that's that's curious about that area of, of the world and what it's like for you. It's, 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 it's been really, really informative, and really interesting. So thank you for that. Maybe one time we can find a, a, another topic to focus on where we can come back together and have a chat. So that's, yeah, I'd love that. That's always a door that's going to be open. So yeah, don't worry about that. As I say to everybody, the, the door is open for a return visit. There we go. Thank you again. And for everybody listening to the podcast this week, I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, you know, big, big round of applause and thanks to zach for being with us but for now thank you again for joining i'll be back myself next week with another new guest but until then thank you very much for listening as always please feel free to leave any comments or feedback on the out of the ordinary podcast instagram page you can do whatever you like i won't i won't be (laughs) i don't mind any 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 uh feedback is great feedback so it, it, it all helps and if you haven't already please feel free to head over to wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a review or a rating or of course you can leave feedback there but until then until the next time i will speak to you all very very soon goodbye for now